So our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. As the grass withers and the flower fades, God's Word only endures forever. And may He bless it to us. This is our halfway point in this whole series on the church and helping us all to come together with a greater understanding of the church and of the place the church is to have in our lives as as Christians. What makes that assembly of God's people the church? We use that word as just a catch-all phrase whenever Christians are brought together. But is that truly what just simply defines the church as the church. And one of my hopes is, as we are going through this study bit by bit, is that you're seeing, no, there's far more to it than just simply saying, where two or three are gathered together, there is the church. It is obviously much, much more than that. And especially when you come to such a text where it uses that phrase, the body... It's expressing a deeper union and communion than just a simple Friday night gathering at someone's home where we just come together for a little bit of fellowship. You think again, this is the second time I'm making this point and you'll get it one more time toward the end, but all of the biblical imageries for the church, they express a much deeper communion and fellowship than just simple gatherings. It is a city, Mount Zion, 
New Jerusalem, the temple, the light, the salt of the earth, a household of faith, a bride. (laughs) There's depth to each of those phrases and we would do well to, to understand what each of them mean. We're not going to cover all of them, but there is a depth to that, isn't there? Again, more than just where two or three are gathered. It is interesting that Paul is the only one who uses the imagery of the body. And it is, I think, amongst the most powerful of imageries concerning the church. Because this image reflects a a deep union with Christ Himself. We are called the body, but one of the great titles that God gives to His Son is that He is the head. And there is no body without the head. And that is the understanding. Our, Our union with Christ is what makes us a body of the Lord. And thus, that union with Christ forming the body is what makes us together the body of Christ. Whether you're a hand, an eye, a nose, an ear, we all together come to form that one body. It's a great image that that speaks far deeper to what it means to be the church. When you lay hold of that imagery of the body, you begin to understand what we mean when we say that the church is an organism. It, it is something that is living. It is functioning. It is growing. Or, in some cases, as we're seeing today, dying. That churches die out when they lose the headship of Christ. A church doesn't die because it loses members. But it does die when Christ and His Gospel are no longer present. You can have a hundred people together, but if Christ is not the head, you do not have the body of the Lord. That's telling, isn't it? You can have five people together, and if Christ is the head, there's the body. We are the body of Christ. As we look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27, it is important to have a bit of context. And I'll just take a couple minutes for this. But understand why 1 and 2 Corinthians were written. Paul is the one who established this church. God specifically in his missionary journeys said to Paul, I want you to stay in this city till I have called through your ministry the people that I have in this city to come to Christ. And so Paul labored some three years in Corinth building and establishing the congregation and then he wrote these two letters. The thing about First and Second Corinthians is they deal with life in the body of Christ. They deal with all the circumstances and difficulties that we face as a, an eclectic group of people joined together with Christ as its head. 
It isn't easy to be the body of Christ. (laughs) It's a challenge because of our individuality that does exist. But he's dealing with life in the body of Christ, the church, and he's dealing with it at a congregational level. He's not dealing with it in that aspect of the church universal, but of the church local, and how we are to relate and walk together in Christ Jesus as His body. And even more context meets us when we look at chapters 12, 13, and 14 together. Here Paul is dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit in each of you in the body. He's dealing with the gifts that the Spirit has bestowed upon all of us so that we may function as the body of Christ. And in the midst of all of that, he's not stressing so much what are the gifts that you have, but he is stressing the loving service you are to have within the body. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter on love, comes in the dead center of this particular issue. Because with all of our gifts, one of the greatest struggles that we have as the body of Christ is to use our gifts in a loving way within the body. We usually end up finding more reasons why we cannot serve than simply serving with how the Spirit of God has gifted us. And that's part of that context of this message that brings us to the whole intent of this message. And that is to show to you, each one, your need of the local body, your need of the church. And with that, the church's need of you. It goes both ways. We who call ourselves Christians, we need to understand, and this is Paul's point with this text, is you cannot live independent of the body. You are needed by the body, and you need the body. And we lose sight of that often in our lives. I'm not necessarily picking on any of you who are university or college students, but here is a frightening statistic of young people who grew up in the church, over 66% stop going when they begin attending university and college. Isn't that frightening? That there is something about that independent life that begins for many of us when we enter into those years. No matter how many years they have been part of a church, over 66% Stop going to church. And in this particular study, and it was a, a, a very large study, it wasn't one of these, oh, let's survey a thousand people. They were asked what reasons for stopping in your attendance. And 70% of those who stopped going to church said it was unintentional. It just happened. And it happened within the first year. For no particular reason. It's just life 
went on and my Christian life stalled. 70% of those students of this survey were Protestants. Us. (laughs) The church, for some reason, does not become an essential part of someone's life when they move on. Do you love Christ? Search your heart on that. Do you love Christ? My friends, God's Word tells us time and time again, if we love Christ, we are to love His body. Because Christ is the head of His body. And one of the first things we see Paul bringing out here to our attention is that we understand from verses 12 and 13 that the body is one in Christ. The body is one in Christ. And that body is formed as one because of the common foundation we have with Christ. It's one of the things that I have often done in marriage counseling is to sit with the young couple to ask them if they understand what is going to be a strength in their marriage as it continues on. And it's often to make this point that in contrariness to the world's idea that opposites attract. We, we often say that when we meet a couple and, and they've been married for a while and, and we see differences in them and we think opposites attract. That isn't true. Most times when opposites attract, the marriage doesn't last. Because there's no common foundation. But if you look deep down and see what is it that brought us together and keeps us together when our opposites come out, it's that common foundation that helps us when diversity is experienced. When we see our differences... We, we realize that, that what, what keeps us united is that, that foundation of similarity. And without that common foundation, diversity becomes the launching pad for posturing and schism. And Paul's aware of that because he says, you know, bringing this into the aspect of the church, he says God has done this composition of this church with a purpose so that, verse 25, there should be no schism. Schism arises often when we forget what's our common foundation. And it's that bond we have In Christ, the body is one in Christ. Isn't it interesting in verse 12 when he says, For as the body is one and has many members, that is the physical body, you look at everyone's body, and I think most of us here, we're, I don't know if anyone has has lost something or not. I don't think so. We all have a head with two ears and two eyes and a nose and Mouth and two arms and two legs, etc. That's what he's saying. The body has many members. But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. And then look what he says at the very end of verse 12. So also is Christ. He does not say, so also is the church. He takes us to Christ. 
And he is saying, Christ has many members, but one body. And when we have that that foundation, when we have that understanding, when we see that what has bonded us together is Jesus Christ, we understand that divine union is what keeps us together. We have a divine union in Christ. And to love Christ is to look at the body of Christ, the church, and to say, I can't help but love her. Warts and all. That point struck Paul powerfully. When you read about his conversion in Acts 9, Paul is out persecuting the church on his way to Damascus to arrest many Christians, put them in prison, even see them killed. And as he's on there, we all know his conversion story. The Lord appears to him in that blinding light and he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the statement before that says he went out persecuting the church. It's Christ saying, this is me you're, you're, you're persecuting. And, and Paul says, who are you? And Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see how Christ regards that bond that we have with Him. It's inseparable. (laughs) That what we are experiencing as the body of Christ, He is experiencing. What we endure in persecution, Christ says, I am feeling this. My body is aching because of the persecution the world brings against Him. That's the depth of our union with Christ. That bond, that bond has been sealed by the blood of Christ. Our very salvation is is what Christ accomplished and, and what has joined us, so joined us to Him that nothing can separate us from Him. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear My voice and... I know them. And you think about your salvation. It is one thing for us to step back and to say that, that Jesus is my Savior. And you need to say that. When I think of Christ and I think of His death on the cross, I understand what He was doing in that time on the cross. He was dealing with everything that had to be dealt with in order for me to receive forgiveness and acceptance with God. I could never be forgiven one sin. I could never be accepted by God for one moment if Christ had not offered His life in my place on the cross. And that's true for every single Christian. My sins have to be washed away. I I have to have that declaration from God. You are now clean. My guilt has to be taken care of. I am guilty before God. I deserve the punishment of hell. And Christ comes and He has borne that in in Himself so that God can say, You are forgiven. I think it's the most marvelous thing. Just a quick side note there. When you think about your forgiveness, that once for all offering of Christ has accomplished the forgiveness of all of God's people of every generation. 
all of our sins, past, present, and future. And why is it, dear Christian, that we can come before God knowing that our past sins have all been forgiven, but coming before Him with our present sins and saying, God, I've sinned again. Forgive me. And He says, you have been forgiven. I will wash you clean again. I'm here to wash your feet because of the sufficiency of His death. You have believed in this. And that faith in Christ, in in His offering up of Himself, that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has bonded you to Him. But it has also bonded us together in Him. Our journeys in grace may all be distinct. One of the privileges I have as a pastor and as an elder of this church is hearing everyone's testimony who becomes a member of our church. It's marvelous. There's some similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. Because God's grace meets us in, in His sovereign time. It meets us where we are in our life's walk and journey. And for some it begins very young. And for others, it doesn't begin until a whole lot of trouble has happened in their life. But you know what? The one testimony that we all share, the one testimony that is true for every one of us who are in Christ, is that it is by grace I have been saved through faith. Isn't that true? Have you believed in Christ? Have you stopped and thought about what He has done on that cross. We're entering into that season of Easter and many churches look and they consider the death of Christ. Do you understand what He did in order to accomplish our salvation? And you can know all of that, but if you have not come to Christ to say, Lord, I believe in You, (laughs) that Your death was for me, In my place, you stood condemned. I believe you have saved me. By that faith, you are saved through grace. And you're bonded to Christ. Your whole life in union with Christ becomes one of His headship with you. It's not, when we say Christ is head, it's not just that He's over us, but that we live in Him. In witness bearing, what does Jesus say when you go out and you share the gospel with others? What does He say? He who receives you, receives me. (laughs) When When it comes to your serving and you're doing good to others, what does He say in Matthew 25? Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Our whole life becomes one of where we are so bonded with Christ. As I live, He is glorified. He is exalted. He experiences that life. Isn't that amazing to think? That's how deep the bond is. The body is one in Christ. 
We are bonded to Christ. We have the same baptism. Verse 13, by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Baptism, however you view it, baptism is foremost about the transformational work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember what John said, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming and He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That is foremost what baptism is all about. Experiencing that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And for all of us, that work of the Holy Spirit is one and the same. He regenerates your heart. You would not believe. You would not understand. You would not accept anything of what Christ has done without that renewed heart the Spirit gives. Praise God for it. We've been baptized in the Spirit. He's the one who brings forth that washing and renewing of life within us. He is the one who calls us and creates that union with Christ. And when Paul makes that point in verse 13, by one Spirit we are all baptized in one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. What is he saying there? He's saying that the body of Christ transcends any of the world's cultural classifications. In the church, it's not about being Jew or Gentile. It's not about being a slave or free, rich or poor. Because we've all been made to drink into one Spirit. We've all been given that same grace of God. All Christians have the same fruit. You have the Spirit of God within you. My friends, you have the love of God. You have the joy of the Lord. You have the peace of God. You have the long-suffering of our God and His kindness and goodness. You have the faithfulness of our Lord and the gentleness and self-control of our Savior. You have it all. And that's because you've been made one in Christ. There is no distinction. And I spent time on this because I want you to understand if this is you and you belong to the body of Christ and you need to belong to the body of Christ. And that brings us to the second point that the body has many members. And you see that in verse 12 and verse 14 and verse 24. Four times that statement is made. Many members And the point that Paul makes when we go from verse 14 all the way down to verse 24, the point that Paul is making here most specifically is that, my dear friends, if you are bonded with Christ and you have been baptized with the Spirit, then you need to understand you need the body. (laughs) And the body needs you. Christ's body needs That diversity of ethnic socio-backgrounds. That's why Paul says, whether you're Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, you belong to the body. (laughs) And the body needs you. You need the body. We need that diversity to show to the world 
that the church is not about a, a nation, a nationality, an ethnic background. It's not about wealth or prosperity. It's not about that. If you are bonded with Christ, you need the body. And the body needs you. And Christ's body needs the diversity of gifts that you bring. And that's not to show anything to the world. Christ's body needs you and your gifts to show the body how much we are needed to function as the body. (laughs) Have you ever lost your eyesight before time? Have you ever lost your hearing? Some of you are probably a little too young uh, to experience some of these things. Have you ever lost the use of your legs and just found yourself at that time dependent on so many others? If I may just be a little personal on that. Growing up, I always thought it would be cool to have a broken bone because you get a cast, and what happens when you get a cast? Everybody signs it, and it's always so cool. I've only ever signed casts. I've never had a cast to be signed. Even when I broke my ankle. or Actually, I didn't break it. Another guy did. Um, there's a difference. But when my ankle was broken, I started wishing it was my arm instead. Because for almost three months, I couldn't do anything by myself. Uh, except for getting in and out of the tub, but even that was difficult. I'm sitting there and it's like, I need a cup of tea. Have you ever tried to get a cup of tea and bring it back to your station with crutches? Can't be done. You don't realize how disabled you are until something is lost. And that's Paul's point here. When I broke my ankle, it wasn't just my ankle that hurt. Pain was throughout. And Paul makes these points for us. Christ's body needs you. You need the body. And the church needs to understand how much we each one are needed to function as the body. That's why Paul, as we heard in Romans 12, that's why Paul says you need to think soberly. And do you know what it is to think soberly about being part of the body? Is you need to think how the body needs you. Verses 15 to 19. That's what that little text passage is about. The body needs you. No one can say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. You hear this when that false humility takes over someone's life and they say something like this as Christians. Well, I don't think I'm needed here. I don't think I'm appreciated. I don't think I'm useful. I don't have any special gift. Or even more, this. And I'm speaking as one who was a church planter in two different churches. This was always, always one of the things that I had to deal with. Is when people came and said, there's no one in my peer group here. And I'd always say, well, come and be the first. Because this body needs you. And just because there's no one here yet that isn't in your peer group, this body still needs you. And I'll get to why in a moment. To understand that. The body needs you. Verses 15 to 19. And then secondly, you need the body. Verses 20 to 24. 
No Christian can live their life on their own without the church. When you hear somebody say, I don't need the church to be a Christian, they're lying. They really are. Because these words in verses 20 to 24 say that 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 attitude is saying that you, you can get along fine on yourself and it's simply not the case. I have no need of you. Well, try walking. Try holding on to things. Individualism and narcissism that makes the church all about self-fulfillment or self-likes. No, that's not thinking soberly. When Paul says, think soberly, and he says this in several letters, you can read it again in Romans 12, in Philippians 2. What is he saying? Do you know what your greatest need is, dear people of God? You need to learn to care and esteem and honor others more than yourself. You need to think soberly. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should, but think soberly. Think how you are to care and honor to the glory of God. And isn't that where Paul brings us? So it's easy to honor the more presentable parts, but to honor the unpresentable parts. In other words, he's saying for you to learn to love as God loves, you need the body. Young people, young parents, mothers, you know what? Many members are needed to honor them, to help them. The journey of a Christian is tough. Students, the stresses of university life, that is never the time for you to think you have no need of the church or that the church doesn't need you. Those are some of the most formidable years of independent living. And Christ has given the body for you and for us. The elderly nearing death. How many of you young people know how to care for the elderly who get closer to death. How to honor them and encourage them when life becomes lonely. We need the body. That's the point that he's saying here. And that's why, as he says there, God has so composed the body so that it can function as a body. And when we are functioning in this way, when we, when we step back and we say, I need the body, and this isn't a proud thought, and the body needs me. <laughs> when we have that attitude, we're realizing that God has composed us to ensure that honor and esteem and compassion flow in the midst of His body. When we think soberly like that, you get to verse 25, and what does he say? When we are thinking soberly like this, this fights against schism. God has come, and and with all of our differences and idiosyncrasies, He has mixed us together. That's what that word compose means. He has mixed us together so that we can learn to depend upon one another. And when we learn to honor and care for one another, 
it fights discord. Do you believe that? It does. Because we're not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. But we're thinking soberly of one another. And it fosters love. A love that this world has no idea or ability to accomplish. The body has many members for this reason. And that last statement in verse 27, you are the body of Christ. You look around at each one and, and, and make that statement, you are the body of Christ. And it is made of many members. A functioning body in Christ has many individuals. But when we are functioning as the body of Christ, what we begin to find is that our needs are met and we are meeting the needs of one another. We're meeting those needs of of security. I belong. Isn't it something, dear people of God, isn't it something that warms your heart to know that you belong to a body of believers? And it gives you identity. And in the name of Christ, and by His Spirit, I've been given gifts to share with the body. I can help you, and you can help me. And it breathes that community where, as He says there, when you suffer like Christ, I suffer with you. When you rejoice, I'm rejoicing with you. And isn't that what Christ is doing? Because we're His body. My friends, this is what it means to be the church. It's no casual gathering. We're the body of Christ. Formed in the Lord. And for the glory of the Lord. And this is the Spirit working grace in us. And through us. Where the body of Christ can be seen. Do you belong? Let's pray.